The following program contains adult content, violence, strong language, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Welcome to Your Fantasy. So we had this elaborate, from 1979 to 1991, this conspiracy or these allegations of crimes that Cologne was telling us, which we really had no evidence of. Uh, we We had to corroborate. That's all I saw. I saw a red dot on his face. I saw him go down. A red dot? What do you mean a red dot? When the bullet went in. We have the, on tape, is beautiful. We have him out of our hair, and now we have Banerjee to worry about. That's the, uh, you know, he's the, uh, the one we have to get, the golden goose. He's the one behind everything. So the plan I came up with was, well, let's, you know, let's make Ray a fugitive. Was there one thing that Banerjee said, like the same way that Rivera said the red dot? Was there a phrase or a sentence he said when you were like, this is it? It was the, uh, he asked, do they know about the D? And then he said, do, I, do they know I gave you the money for the guns? Oh, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> She's got all her dollars in her wallet. She can't wait. Are you ready to use those dollars? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> what are you hoping to see tonight? A few months into making this podcast, way back in the summer of 2019, we decided we needed to go to an actual Chippendale show for research. I mean, I couldn't call myself a true Chippendale scholar without actually witnessing the tip and kiss up close. And I'm almost 60 and it's on my bucket list. So I said, before I die, not that I'm planning on it, but before I die, I want to see the Chippendales. And my husband and my two grown sons are not keen about it. There aren't any actual Chippendales clubs anymore. The club in L.A. shut down in 1988 and New York in 2001. But the business is still alive and kicking. There's a long-standing residence in Las Vegas at the Rio, which packs them in every night, or did before the pandemic, anyway. Are you surprised it's still around after 40 years? No. Why not? No, why shouldn't it be around? There's still There's horny women, always horny women. And as luck would have it, in August of 2019, they were doing a one-night-only show at the Suffolk Theater in Riverhead, Long Island, two hours from Manhattan. So on a balmy Thursday night, I drove out to Riverhead with my co-producers, Nikki, Christine, and Eleanor. We arrived early and stood under the marquee for an hour before the show, talking to women as they headed inside. There were groups of bachelorettes, a bunch of softball moms in their 50s, a pair of grandmas out for a big night. I saw them in the city when I was young. Yeah? Yeah, and it was amazing. Tell me about it. Oh, What was it like? Well, they were very handsome young men, let me tell you. And I was very... I can't say it. Tell us! (laughs) The vibe was exactly as you'd expect. Giddy and silly, some light sexual tension. It felt out of time in a way. These women sounded exactly like the women in the recordings we'd tracked down from 40 years ago, when Steve Banerjee and his guys first started putting flyers up all over L.A., advertising a male strip show for women. Are you excited about the idea of men uh, taking their clothes? Excited! We went inside, the lights went down, a pop song started blaring over the speakers, and the women in the room started to scream. And then, well, I'm a little sad to report that seeing these guys perform live after months of hearing stories about the golden years, it's kind of a letdown. 
I don't know what I expected exactly, but there was no scene here. And the guys on stage, they were good, but they weren't stars in the way that Michael Rapp and Scott Marlowe and Dan Peterson were stars. There were a couple good developments. The cast is way more diverse now than it was back in the day. There are a lot of non-white guys on stage. And there have been out gay dancers in the cast, too. Not that that's reflected much in the show itself. The acts featured all the expected hetero fantasy characters. Cops and soldiers and firefighters. There was even an entire act where a woman from the audience was handpicked to marry one of the strippers on stage. But there weren't any over-the-top Nick DeNoia spectacles. No Frankenstein's monster parables. No wild, perfect man rock opera. I watched and I clapped and I laughed, but still, I felt a little bummed. I was so steeped in Chippendale's lore at that point that I craved at least a hint of its former glory. But then, there was this moment. That's what I knew. I wanted to be in a boy band. Yes, that's me screaming. It was pure instinct. Some latent boy band reflex that had been waiting to be reactivated for the past 30 years. And the MC introduced the boy band medley, a 10-minute mashup of Backstreet Boys and InSync hits and group choreography, just like in the music videos. I'm not ashamed to admit that I ran to the stage. This is how Chippendales functions these days, as a nostalgia machine. Like we're all there winking at the idea of being at a Chippendales show. And even within the show, the guys are kind of winking too. They know that any sense of transgression is long gone. It's not a big deal for women to go pay to see men dance anymore. No one's going to be having sex backstage with the dancers. No one's going to be stuffing their G-strings full of bills. It turns out that the guys don't actually take tips anymore at all. A lot of women did pull bills out and wave them at the guys, but the guys would not take the money. I saw it. Even the tip and kiss, this thing that lured Candace Mayer on into the world of Chippendales all those years ago, it's gone. I was surprised to experience its absence, this thing that had so defined the place for so many years. We laughed. We had fun. But it was so much tamer than I thought it would be. It was Disney-fied, but not in the way that Steve Banerjee imagined. Not like, we're so huge, Walt Disney will want to build an attraction around us. More like, we've been engineered in a lab to be perfectly and kind of inoffensively mainstream. It was a really weird thing to realize. 40 years after Steve Banerjee started hiring guys to strip on stage, over 30 years after Nick DeNoia's murder. Now the whole sordid Chippendales history, the drugs, the sex, the conspiracies, and the FBI, and the larger-than-life characters, it was just that. History. In this episode, Steve Banerjee's dream comes to its final end. But for the dancers and business associates, and friends and enemies who were there when that dream was becoming a reality, Chippendales still lives on. 
I'm Natalia Petrozella, and this is Welcome to Your Fantasy. Episode 8. The Final Act. We left off on September 2nd, 1993. FBI Special Agents Scott Gariola and Andrew Stefanik have just arrested Steve Banerjee in the parking lot of his Los Angeles Chippendales office. Banerjee will be charged on eight counts, including racketeering, conspiracy, and murder for hire. He pleads not guilty, and a jury trial is set for December 7th, 1993. The arrest makes national news. The New York Daily News runs the headline, G-String Kings Busted by G-Men. And of course, after daytime TV helped build up the Chippendales empire, it also reveled in its downfall. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our show, which today takes a hard, very close look at the infamous Chippendale dancers. Those gorgeous hunks in G-Strings worn under skin-tight pants, pants usually removable at a moment's notice. Hard bodies clad in... And I had gotten a call from Geraldo people wanting to put on a Chippendales hour and asking me if I could please put together some of the guys that should appear on the show. And I said, yes, of course I would do that. And they also wanted me on the show as well. Candace Mayeron again, Nick's friend and colleague, who went back on the road with the Chipmondales tour after Nick was killed, and who for years was tormented knowing that Steve Banerjee had gotten away with it. Candace was used to operating in the background as a producer, but she leapt at the opportunity to go on Geraldo and set the record straight about her friend Nick's murder. Behind the scenes, we'll go to see what loomed more scandal than you could ever imagine. And here to reveal some of those deep, dark secrets and some of the most popular of the current and past dancers. My first guest is... A you might recognize some of those dancers. The most well-known male stripper in the country. He is still as sexy as ever. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Rapp is here. Come on, Michael. He left Chippendales uh, for a profession with even bigger egos than stripping. Now he's a professional bodybuilder and trainer from New York City. Here is Scott Marlowe. Come on out, Scott. It's a weird hour of television. They're supposedly there to talk about Steve and Nick. But before they get to that, there's the usual Q&A with the audience. Geraldo, is this what they do for a living or do they have, you know, everyday jobs? Do you have a problem with homosexuals in your club? And Geraldo spends a bunch of time kind of publicly degrading the guys on stage with him. Michael, perhaps because of the obvious pressures of his job, now divorced from his wife. Mike has three children, all by different women. Eventually, they get around to talking about Nick's murder. So Geraldo asks the question flat out to me. The man who conspired to murder Nick Denoye and who in fact hired the hitman who shot him in the face at close range was none other than Steve Banerjee. Candace, uh, tell us what you feel about Steve Banerjee, the owner of Chippendales, now indicted for racketeering and conspiring to murder. The camera catches Rap, Michael Rap, just staring at me to see what I'm going to say, because he knows what I think. You know, they all know what I think, so they're all, like, looking at me to see how I'm going to answer the question and so forth. Now I'm on national television, and I'm an attorney, so I answered it 
the way I should. I said, well... Steve has only been indicted under these charges. He hasn't been convicted. That's really a question for judges and juries. That's what judges and juries are for. Whether or not Steve Banerjee is the perpetrator of the murder of Nick DeNoia. I just hope that the perpetrator of Nick's murder, whomever that is, will be brought to justice. We all have our own very firm opinions. And perhaps this is a first step in that procedure. Mike, you don't seem very sad about Nick's death. Sad? Of course. I enjoyed working with Nick. Nick Mike, was a great was guy. At the funeral. Steve Banerjee now indicted. Is that the death knell of the Chippendales as well? Absolutely not. We're still running the show four nights a week. The show's still going strong. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot bigger than, than Steve Banerjee is now. He was right. Banerjee's arrest and conviction, which we'll get back to in a minute, didn't change a thing. Michael Rapp danced for another eight years, and Chippendales kept on chugging, right up to September 11th, 2001. And 9-11 crushed our New York club. Nobody was coming. We had this huge audience, and all of a sudden, after 9-11, nobody showed up the next week. It, it had lost its charm. Rapp decided it was time to move on. The New York club closed shortly after. He tried for a while to be a massage therapist, but that didn't work out so well. Women were intimidated by his handsomeness, he said. They wouldn't request him. It was a strange experience for Rap. The thing he'd been celebrated for for the last 20 years, his body and his face, was kind of a liability now. That must have felt really unsettling because like, yeah. you have this whole career where yeah. being handsome right. and attractive is serving right. you well, right. and then all of a sudden, right. how did you... Do you that must have been kind of a low place for yeah. you. Yeah, I always tell people don't identify it with your career because I had identified, I mean, I was Michael Rapp from Chippendales, you right. know, uh, and now I wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> right. Once I had lost my identity, I got to rebuild me the mm-hmm. way I wanted, brick by brick. That's <laughs> amazing. Eventually, Rapp became a caretaker for a friend who'd had a stroke. And then his whole life focus shifted to doing personal training and being a life coach. Now he lives with his wife in Arizona, recently transplanted from Queens. Rap's got a bunch of motivational videos on YouTube and Facebook that he made with a selfie stick on his morning walks to the gym. Good morning, it's Michael Rapp from Scottsdale, Arizona. And I'm on my way for a walk, get a little morning walk in. I am truly enjoying and grateful. And I've estimated, I've taken my clothes off for over a million women. Wow. Yeah. Put that so, on your tombstone. To tell me about it, right? <laughs> yeah, As for Scott Marlowe, even back in the heyday of drugs and sex, when, as he put it, he could throw a dart into the crowd and sleep with any woman it hit, some part of him knew he couldn't keep living that way and that he needed to change something and get out. The real answer was fall in love. But how could you fall in love at that job? I was, I was kind of, I was lost. I really was, and I was very, very depressed. So I was working as, as a bouncer in, in some clubs, and I did some bodyguarding work. You know, what a typical big, you know, ex-Marine would do, right? Yeah, right. And, um, and I met a girl uh, in one of the bars that I worked in, and she was special. She was special. And that's kind of what I was looking for my whole life. I guess. I, 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 did, I didn't know I was, but I was. Um, later on in life, when my son was born, um, I, my wife pointed out to me that I was, I was angry. And, and I just think I'm an angry person. I went to a therapist years later, which my wife, you know, pointed out I needed to see. And I, I spoke to this guy. And this guy was actually really good. 
Anyway, I, I think I've got myself figured out. <laughs> we'll be right back. After Steve Banerjee was arrested in September of 93, he sat in the Metropolitan Detention Center in downtown L.A. for a year without bail. When you have enough money, you can avoid a reckoning for a long time. And Banerjee's lawyers requested continuance after continuance, blowing past the original trial date set for the winter of 1993. It isn't until June of 94 that jury selection finally begins. Why was this a kind of hot case? It's Chippendales, babe. We're still talking about it 40 years later. Bruce Nahan, Banerjee's lawyer from the early days, was one of his few visitors in jail. The one time I went to see Steve, he blamed me for his arrest, which was absurd because I had no clue about him trying to kill the kids in Britain. But had I known, I certainly would have been involved and tried to have him arrested. But I, I didn't. I didn't know, so I had no reason to. How'd you feel walking in there? Apprehensive. I mean, here are my partners in the slam, you know, and it's never a comfortable feeling to go visit someone in jail. What was his demeanor like when you visited him? Was he down? Was he aggressive? Belligerent. In a last-ditch effort, Banerjee and his lawyers try to submit a pretrial motion. They want to suppress the recordings the FBI got from Ray Cologne's hotel room in Switzerland. They're not successful. And soon after, they request a plea hearing with the judge. There wasn't a trial. Banerjee pled guilty. That's Steve Clymer again, the prosecutor on the case. On July 29, 1994, the prosecution and judge accept the plea. Banerjee will be sentenced to 26 years in prison. As for Chippendales, the company he built from the ground up, he'll have to forfeit it to the U.S. government. Part of what we wanted was the Chippendales because he had been successful and been able to keep the Chippendales himself in part because of the crimes he committed. And so it was it was reasonable for us to want to say he should have to disgorge or lose that, forfeit it to the government because it was so enmeshed in the crimes he committed. Right. All, all his crimes were related to his operation of the Chippendales. Banerjee's sentencing is scheduled for October 24th. Over the next three months, he and his attorneys do what they can to avoid the seizure of Chippendales. But they're ultimately out of moves. Once Banerjee is sentenced, the business will no longer be his. Around 3 a.m. on the morning of his sentencing, Steve Banerjee does something no one saw coming. He hangs himself in his jail cell. Just hours before he was to be sentenced, Chippendale's owner, Soman Banerjee, committed suicide in his jail cell. Last July, Banerjee admitted to setting up Denoya's murder. Steve Banerjee's multi-million dollar rise and fall. He took a failing West L.A. club and turned it into a huge success with a singular attraction. And Banerjee made a lot of money. Banerjee was facing a 26-year prison sentence. This afternoon, Banerjee's attorney fought to have the case closed, but that was postponed. The FBI is still investigating. It is his last, most extreme act, his final way of maintaining control of Chippendales and keeping the business in his own name. A criminal defendant's conviction under the law is not final until he's sentenced. And for our purposes, that meant that part of his plea agreement where he had agreed to forfeit the Chippendales to the federal government never came to pass because we needed a final conviction for that to happen. 
Our suspicion at the time was that Banerjee committed suicide so his wife could keep the Chippendales instead of the government getting the Chippendales. Where did you find out that he had killed himself? Were you in the courtroom or on the way? Or- oh, no, we, we, we knew before we went down. The marshal service notified us. Were you surprised? Yeah, I, I, I'd never had a defendant do that on the night before sentencing before. It was, it was, it was shocking. I went to the courthouse to see him being sentenced, to see him being brought in in shackles, and to have him see me. Candace Mayer on again. We never went into the courthouse because they met us on the courthouse steps and said there is not going to be any sentencing. Banerjee died last night. I'm featured on the newsreel footage. And in that footage, Candace is on the front steps of the courthouse, standing out in a fire engine red skirt suit. She looks pissed. The former MC, Clark Wilson, is right by her side. Denoya's friends are angry. Banerjee killed himself before he could be sentenced. Uh, Nick Denoya was a dear friend and he was a creative genius. And, and now his murderer is dead by suicide. And so I guess that is some form of closure, but it sure doesn't feel like it today. A lot of the people I talked to about their time at Chippendales had a different, more complicated reaction than Candace did. Like Dan Peterson, who, remember, had once been Banerjee's confidant, and then ended up getting shot at at the beach because Steve was so enraged he'd created a competing calendar. Dan said that when he looks back on it all, he knows he should think of Steve as a cold-blooded killer. But mostly, he just feels sad for him. I know people get mad at me by feeling bad for Steve because Steve killed Nick. And I do feel bad for both of them, and I think what he did was completely wrong. There was no reason for him to do it. He had all the money in the world, Chippendales was still big, it was all still there, and here goes, does something stupid, ends his life and Nick's life. Stupid. Dan parlayed his calendar work into a career as a professional photographer. He takes photos of models and celebrities, even shot a Chippendales calendar in 2006. He also competes in Ironman triathlons. And he still lives in Thousand Oaks, in the same house he grew up in, but now with his wife and kids. Hodari Sababu, the guy who warned Don Gibson that Steve had taken a hit out on him, he's still grappling with his feelings about Banerjee, too. So do you remember where you were when Banerjee died? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, because, yeah. I remember because it came on the news or something, and I and by that time I hadn't seen him in a few years, and I kind of lost track of him. And and I heard about the case where he went to jail. Subsequent to that, I know so many guys that were in jail with him, but but uh, it came on the news that he hung himself in jail, and I'm like, damn, man, you know, it was really really sad. Even though I hadn't reached out for him, it's it's almost like I'm going to. You know, it's been, what, four or five years? I'm going to call Steve, because after that, you know, you figure, you figure that the, uh, you know, the animosity is over. Yeah. And, uh, okay, he's in jail, and, you know, maybe I'll go and visit him. And, you know, but you got time. You always figure you got time. And he ends up dead, and, and 
I, you know, it was, it was kind of devastating for me. But, but you yeah. have some regret, it sounds like, for not. Yeah, he. Ways. Yeah, I don't know. He was. Uh, I think he. I wish he was alive, because he didn't. I didn't even get a life sentence. He would have been out way before now. I mean, because then you only had to do half of the time. I was shocked. Uh, I know Steve wasn't the happiest guy in the world, but I couldn't see him doing that. But uh, I can't see anybody doing that. But I think he couldn't stand that he was going to get 25 years in jail. I think that was just way too much for him. This is Richard Barsh. If you remember all the way back in episode one, he was the guy Banerjee hired to be the MC in the very early days. He wore a tux and made a bunch of corny jokes and went out on stage in roller skates. Barsh's life took an odd turn after Chippendales. He owned the copyright to the original Chippendales show and wrote a lot of the campy acts that Nick DeNoia rewrote or replaced when he arrived on the scene. After Barsh was pushed out, he sued Steve Banerjee for copyright infringement. That lawsuit ended up dragging on for 12 years. At one point, shortly before Nick was killed, Barsh says that one of the dancers called him and told him that he'd better be careful because Banerjee had taken out a hit on him. Barsh left L.A. right away and hid out in the mountains. I took it seriously, but I tried to put a funny spin to it because I went to my parents' house and I told them, and I bought myself a fake beard, really bad fake beard, and uh, a wig, and my parents were like, Rick, this isn't funny. This is not funny. I said, I know, I know. That was in 1987. In 1993, Barsh was supposed to finally have his day in court with Banerjee but Banerjee never showed up. The FBI had arrested him earlier that week. I felt sorry for Steve, but Steve had done a lot of bad things in his life. Steve had a ton of money. Steve was a multimillionaire. And Nick had made millions from it. They both had made millions from doing this show, but they were so greedy. They were still greedy for more, which really shocks me that you can't, I really can't see it because what did you gain? And everybody would say to me, boy, you really lost out on that Chippendales case. And I said, excuse me? I said, Nick's dead, Steve's dead, I'm still alive. By the time Banerjee's sentencing date rolled around, Eric Gilbert, another of his former right-hand men, was an art director living in Malibu. Scott Gariola, the FBI, called me and said, um, well, um, some good news. He goes... (laughs) You don't have to appear in court today. I'm like, why is that? And he goes, because your boss killed himself. And I said, wow, really? And he goes, yeah. And then he says, I guess you could take this off your resume. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. What, how did you feel? I was relieved. It's really a very telling tale of, of morality. He was just some schmo from India who actually came from a pretty well-to-do family. Bought a couple gas stations, parlayed it, worked his ass off, you know, washed cars, filled up gas tanks, bought a cheap nightclub, played around with different ideas until he found one that could work. If he wasn't so singularly fucked up in being paranoid and super cheap, (laughs) if he didn't have those two problems, he could have made, he would have been alive today and been, you know, a hundred millionaire. But it's just, he, the guy had some fatal flaws, sadly, and uh, screwed him over. As for Bruce Nahan, Banerjee's lawyer in the early days, he kept on practicing law. 
And then in 2004, he was found guilty of embezzling millions of dollars from his clients that he used to bankroll a horse ranch. And then he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But Bruce has a somewhat different view of his place in history. My ex-wife once said, I don't know if you remember the movie Schindler's List. Of course. At the, at the <laughs> Not end, a forgettable flip At film. the end of Schindler, all the survivors put rocks on his tomb. Mm-hmm. She says, when I die, women will come with their beefcake calendar. How do you feel about that? That's okay. I guess I'm a cultural icon. I would have preferred the Academy Award. After Steve Banerjee's death, ownership of Chippendales went to his wife, Irene, who quickly sold it off to a couple of Banerjee's associates. In 1996, Lou Pearlman, the mogul responsible for the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, bought in, at least for a little while. He was later accused of fraud, physical and sexual abuse, and went to prison for running a $300 million Ponzi scheme. In 2000, a group of investors took over the company. These days, it's run by a former investment banker named Kevin Denberg. The New York club was shut down after 9-11, when the city's nightclub scene changed dramatically. It later became a bed, bath, and beyond, where I bought the sheets for my first apartment. But by then, Chippendales was bigger than any New York club or L.A. club. It was bigger than Nick DeNoia and Steve Banerjee. The world tours never stopped. In 2005, they added a nightly residency in Vegas. In 2012, the movie Magic Mike came out, and it felt like there was this sudden male stripper renaissance. And now in Vegas, you can have your pick of a bunch of other troops, too. Black Magic, Hunkamania, Thunder from Down Under. We haven't talked much about Steve's or Nick's families, the people for whom their legacies cast the most complicated shadow. I spent a few hours speaking with Steve Banerjee's two sons, who ultimately decided they didn't want us to use their interviews. One of them, Christian, was only four when his father died. He now makes his living as a male stripper. As for Nick's family, they're now the keepers of this exhaustive archive he maintained of his life as an entertainer. Playbills, photos, 8x10 glamour shots, business cards, clapboards, letters, and more, all meticulously organized in these thick binders that tell the story he wanted told. When I visited his niece and nephew on the Jersey Shore, they brought out these boxes and files, and we sat there at the kitchen table, eating turkey sandwiches and going through them together. They let me hold his Emmy in my hands. Nick's great-niece, Nicole, was there too. She's named after him. After Chippendales, I knew every good-looking guy in America. If you bought any calendar of good-looking guys or posters of good-looking guys, odds are I produced it. These days, Candace Mayron spends her time organizing backgammon tournaments. She's still close with a lot of the old Chippendales guys. We all went to the movies together when Magic Mike came out. Oh, you did? And she supports their careers. We went with her to a show called Hollywood Men, run by a former Chippendale dancer. Candace was a VIP at the place. They had a special booth all reserved for her. She knew every guy's name. She asked them about their lives, and they all came around to give her a hug and say hi. I'll give you a tip. Anybody who's going to go to a show and is interested in a guy, do not go up to him and say, oh, you're so hot, you're so sexy on stage. Go up to him and say, you really are a good performer. 
That's how you get to them. They like to think of themselves as performers and not pieces of meat. I can tell you this, I never once got bored. I never once got tired of going to a show or bored with it, never. Not after thousands of performances. There's nothing else besides a top quality male strip show. And this was great theater. You can't name another event where people are at a fever's pitch the entire two and a half hours. Not the Super Bowl. There's moments of silence in the stadium. Nothing. There is nothing where, as a member of the audience, you're on edge the entire two and a half hours in a good way. I think we're ready to wrap, Candace. Is there anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think that um, if I wanted to add anything else, Chippendales was an extraordinary time in the United States. It was iconic and it was a cultural phenomenon for a very good reason. The beauty and the wonderfulness that was Chippendales should not be sullied by the fact that behind the scenes there was something terrible that went on. Well, thank you, Candace. TTYL, Natalia. TTYL. I'm hip. I'm fucking hip. You are so hip. I love it. (laughs) I'm so fucking hip. Thanks, honey. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Next time, I'm going to sit down with my two co-producers and fellow historians to talk about why this Chippendale story is going to stick with us long after this podcast is over. And the question becomes, is this women's liberation or is this the commodification of the idea of women being freer, of women having more resources? What do you think the biggest misconception about the Chippendales is out there? That we're gay or that we're dumb? And we'll hear from you, too. Welcome to Your Fantasy is a production of Pineapple Street Studios in association with Gimlet. It's hosted by me, Natalia Petrozella. Our senior producer is Eleanor Kagan. Our producer is Christine Driscoll, and our associate producer is Erin Kelly. Nicole Hemmer and Neil J. Young are consulting producers. Our editors are Joel Lovell and Maddie Sprung-Kaiser. It was mixed by Hannes Brown and fact-checked by Ben Phelan. This show features original music by Dow and Anthony, and thanks to our music supervisor, Jasmine Flott. The executive producers at Pineapple Street are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. From Gimlet, our executive producer is Lydia Polgreen, and our editor is Colin Campbell. We've got a Spotify playlist with tons of music from the original show, so you can create the club experience for yourself in the comfort of your own home. You can find the link in the show notes. For more wild talk show moments, and maybe even a photo or two of us when we went to see Chippendales, check out our Instagram account, Chippendales Revealed. That's our handle, Chippendales Revealed. Did you ever go to Chippendales? We want to hear about it. Leave us a short voicemail, 30 seconds to a minute tops, at 323-475-9424. And we might play it on a future episode. That's 323-475-9424. This is a Spotify original podcast.